This is something I've been training for my whole life without even realizing it. And the perfectionist in me will not be happy with anything less than 100%. And I want that title. I want to be a mental samurai. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. Mm, But before you can beat my guest, you need to meet my guest, so let's give a warm welcome to today's guest. Mental Samurai Champion, Heather Hurley. Heather, how are you? I'm fine. I'm happy to be back. How are you? I am doing just fine. Now, I know you're not at all a thrill seeker. I know, because I saw your package on Mental Samurai. Uh, (laughs) How are you doing? Tell everyone out there uh, who you are, what you do, and why I'm talking all about this samurai crap. I am Heather Hurley. I am a strategic planning coordinator, not a librarian, who works at the Library of Congress here in Washington, D.C. And the mental samurai stuff is because I was most recently seen on the Fox game show Mental Samurai, which uh, is now available at every fine streaming episode store near you. Um, But I was one of the competitors who made it to the final episode and, in fact, won that final episode. So I am the mental samurai grand champion. I won a hefty chunk of change. Uh, which was great. I also got to meet Rob Lowe, who hosted the show, and he was a delight. And it was a really interesting, unique experience because the conceit of Mental Samurai is that contestants have to answer trivia questions and puzzles and things under time pressure while being whirled around by a giant robot arm known as Ava. And for people who love roller coasters or are astronauts, because we had one of those too, that's a day in the office. But for me, who prefers reading a book or sitting quietly, sometimes both at once, it was not at all normal. And so that part for me was the real challenge. The trivia questions, less so, because as hopefully proven by my past BMG appearances, I'm okay with the trivia, but it's the thrill-seeking that I'm not so keen on. I was uh, excited to have you back, uh, not only because you're coming back to, uh, you know, after, after becoming, uh, you know, not King James famous, perhaps, but <laughs> nevertheless famous in the world of trivia for, for winning a show. But uh, uh, I just was curious, do you think we should name the hot seat? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm definitely, in general, a fan of naming things, be they... Rooms, buildings, vehicles, pets, children. I absolutely. So I, I count me as a vote for yes. I, I don't know whether that involves brackets, whether that involves a, a contest. I don't know what the mechanism is, but I couldn't hurt. Yeah, there you go. Well, we'll throw it out there to uh, to the people. Uh, you know, go to uh, beat my guess the fans hot seat group on Facebook and uh, throw in your two cents to the debate. Uh, Ava is already taken, but uh, you know. Maybe we'll name the hot seat, but uh, Heather is in the hot seat, which means a bunch of trivia questions are coming her way. Uh, There is going to be, as usual, Heather, as you know, four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I will let you know the categories in order I'll be using for that round. Before I read each question, you get to lock in how many points you wish each question to be worth. Get it right. You get the points. It is just that simple. And there's also going to be a halftime bonus worth 10 points. At the end of the game, you'll field what we call the confidence question, which will be your last chance to try to improve your final score. I will explain all of that when we get there. No robotic arms flinging you around. Uh, you know, if you, you, 
you want to, you know, jump on your bed uh, and use it like a trampoline uh, to to get some sort of feel for that experience. But by all means, it's your, you know, you're listening at home. You do what you want. You 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 do you. <laughs> Are you ready to get going, Heather? To quote myself from Mental Samurai, lock it in. Let's go. <laughs> ah, yes, indeed. Round one, as always, the point values available to you are one, three, five, and seven. And here are the categories we're going to be kicking things off with today. Potpourri will be up first, followed by Around the World. And then we have television. And we are going to wrap up round one with Fungo, our exciting three of a kind category but before we get things started and before i ask you how much you'd like to wager this season as you know is our alphabet season which means on today's episode every single answer unless i say otherwise we'll begin with the same letter either the first word of a name the last name of a person uh, any word of a title at some point unless i say otherwise every answer will have at least one word that starts with today's letter and that letter so simple. S. S it is. Are you ready now to, uh, with that in mind, wager one, three, five, or seven on potpourri? Well, this is interesting because the letter S, popular letter, you know, R-S-T-L-N-E in Wheel of Fortune. And the um, when I was a kid and we had indoor recess or whatever, I would like to you know, in the library, I would grab a random world book off of the shelf and page through it and look at the color pictures. And I think S might have had multiple volumes. So I'm glad I've narrowed it down for myself on answers today, keeping in mind that they will all begin with S. That's cool. So with that in mind, I'm going to ease myself into the game today. And I would like to wager one point on the first question. One point on potpourri. Yes, uh, the uh, traditional Ristolini, as I call it, on the Wheel of Fortune, as always. Uh, I'm glad they finally made that automatic. All right. One point potpourri. Heather, good luck. Here is your first question. Please don't whine when I ask you, which of these three wine varieties is the odd man out? coming from a different grape than the other two in alphabetical order, Sangiovese, Shiraz, Syrah. On the one hand, I'm glad it's a multiple choice because that saves me at least a little bit of narrowing things down. On the other hand, I'm not a drinker, uh, despite the ironic fact that my husband works for a very large alcohol chain here on the East Coast. And so where do I begin with what is the odd man out? My goodness. I don't know. I don't even know a ton about grapes for popular wines. So I'm going to have to, I guess, just take a guess. And I'm glad I only ragered one on this, easing myself into it. I'm going to go with answer A. Answer A, Sanchovese. <laughs> it's almost like, I don't even care what the answers are. I'm just going A. <laughs> That's the one. That's the one. So yeah, so uh, basically uh, most of the time, wines are named by the grape that they are... Uh, spawned from or squeezed out of so you know you get yourself your your cabernet it's the cabernet grape or you know the it's 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 very simple riesling the riesling grape you know that's that's why the wines are named what they're named but sometimes if the wine is uh, mass produced in different countries they'll call the grape by a different name and hence you'll have two wines or really the same wine just different names because of uh, regional variants. Sangiovese wine, very popular in Italy. And it is a completely different grape from Shiraz and Syrah, which are the exact same wine, same grape. One point for you. Nicely guessed. 
I will take it. And that just reminds everyone that sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Although, you know, sometimes I also like to ease people in with like a true false multiple choice at the top because, uh, you know, hey, but sometimes I don't. So <laughs> I'll take <laughs> Gotta it. keep you on your toes. Yes. Anyway, around the world is up next. Three, five or seven. Um, let's see. Looking ahead to what is coming. I think I'm going to take seven on this one. Seven points for around the world. Good luck. Heather, here is your Around the World question. The world's only preserved 17th century ship resides in a museum in what city? This is interesting because that's not that long ago. And you would think that there would be more of these things around than just one single one in the whole world. I'm looking for a city, and I'm trying to think, uh, assuming that the city has something to do with the ship, either because it ended up there or because it was constructed there. I'm trying to think who was active in in sailing, I was going to say in shipping, but in sailing at around that time period. It's a little late for Vikings because my mind, when I'm thinking of preserved ships, immediately goes to Iceland and Scandinavia. I'm not sure that that's wrong, but I'm leaning more here towards maybe something in, in England or in Spain. But then I need to narrow it down to cities. And I guess it could even be something in like the Pacific that someone got there after a long journey. They said, we're here, this is it. And then we're leaving the ship, we're parking it, we're not paying the renewal fees, we're leaving the ship. And then those people said, oh, cool, we're gonna turn that into a museum. Uh, but anyway, no, let me, let me, let me, Put a pin in that and circle back to Europe. There's a ton of S cities, and this is going to be the difficulty this whole episode for me with S. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a city on the coast. She said as if she knew which cities in different countries were on coasts or not. It's coming that all of this preface aside to say that it's going to come down a little bit to pick a city that begins with S that is not Stockholm. And I will say, oh goodness. Hoping that I can at least get in the right continent, which we shall see in a moment. I will say Seville. Final answer, lock it in. Seville. I'm curious because I was listening to your, your conversation there and it's like out of the blue, you said that is not Stockholm. I was just curious why you, <laughs> why you did well, that. Well, I, I find often in, in quizzing and in whether it's a, a pub quiz or learned league or whatever, that the thing that comes immediately to mind is a bit of a red herring. And I'm either misremembering something or misunderstanding the question because my mind immediately went to Vikings and Stockholm. So I'm going to, I'm going to ignore the gut instinct and pick a city that is not Stockholm. Fair enough, fair enough. I just didn't hear it in your musings. I was curious as to why uh, you, know, you, you hadn't discounted it as of yet. Uh, we are talking about a ship here that was preserved because it sank, uh, pulled a Titanic and sank during its maiden voyage in 1628, uh, went to the bottom of the water, and it wasn't until about 300 years later that uh, they just kind of wenched it out, and there it was in all its pristine glory, save for you know the, the minor damage that caused it to sink in the first place, and restored and fully on display the name of the ship is the vasa it is in a museum that is named after the vasa and this museum is in stockholm <laughs> oh are you kidding me <laughs> i am not well for all of the good karma that i got on question one of randomly getting it correct 
I blew it all away with question number two. Well, that's sweet irony. Oh, or, that's or sweet irony, as the case sweet. may be. <laughs> ah, Swedish. Well, okay. Good, good on you, Sweden. You got me. <laughs> you got me. Uh, indeed. Well, you know, still a lot of questions left. Plenty of time for you to uh, get your Swede revenge on me and the questions. Uh, television will be the next one on the uh, plate for you. Three points or five points? I think I'll go five points on this one. All right. Five points for television. Good luck. And here's your question. Set in Atlanta, this Lee Daniels created show about a teenage orphan turned singing sensation lasted three seasons on Fox. What was it called? I think I, I read a lot of um, magazines covering the entertainment industry. And I know that I've seen ads for this show. I didn't watch it, but I feel like I've seen ads for this show and sort of shows of its ilk. And I'm trying to think of the S connection. And the only thing coming to mind, I believe there was a show called Star, because the other um, possibilities I'm thinking of, like Empire, obviously not not starting with an S, but something about seeing an ad for a show called Star or maybe reading a review of it is ringing a bell. So I'm going to go with Star. Star is your answer. Uh, this is a show set in Atlanta. I know you know a lot about where TV shows are set, like uh, Empire, perhaps. <laughs> oh yeah interesting so a mental samurai flashback my final question in the grand championship round had me order three television shows based on the city they were set in from west to east and while i knew that breaking bad was set in albuquerque and i knew that gray's anatomy was set in seattle i wasn't sure about empire I actually at time of recording thought that it was in los angeles um, and I also didn't completely understand where Los Angeles was in relationship to Seattle. But um, I have since looked it up be, um, because I don't I don't watch Empire and none of the coverage that I've read of it focused so much on the city. Um, and I believe it's in New York. Is that correct? It is yeah. indeed. It Filmed is. in Chicago, maybe, and set in New York. Uh, so now I know. And uh, uh, a spinoff of said show uh, would be this show set in Atlanta. This, the, uh, this group was discovered by uh, Lucius and Cookie on, on Empire and spun off. And I felt, why not pick this one for you? <laughs> and indeed, it is called Star. Excellent job. Well done. You got it right. Very good. This is the rare chance, the rare situation where just knowing the title is just enough to get the question right. Indeed, I believe the name, the main character of the show is also uh, her name is Star, so it is her story. I believe she's Star Davis, uh, an orphan who uh, suddenly makes it big uh, thanks to uh, landing in the right, uh, the right cookie jar, as it were. I don't know. <laughs> I see what they did there. See, it's so important what you name your children. Um, name them a star, and they will become one. Indeed, don't don't name them uh, Satin, and <laughs> be surprised when they end up on the pole. <laughs> Who could have seen it coming? Well, turns out everybody. All right. One question left in this round, and you're doing quite well so far. It is going to be worth three points to you. Should you get it right? It is Fungo. Three of a kind. I'm going to give you three clues, each like in dignity, all pointing to the exact same answer, which, of course, will begin with S, like everything else in this game. Good luck. Here is your Fungo. Clue number one. Art movement of Cologne in 1919 which spun off from Dada. Clue number two. Tom Arnold in a 1996 John Landis film. Clue number three. 
adjective ascribed to military action by Boy George in 1984. The only aspect of this one that I can initially start to pick at is the third with military action. So I deal, having worked in government and living in the D.C. area, I deal with a lot of military people and terminology. And I can think of military actions like, I don't know, desertion or promotion or something like that. But no S's are coming to mind. And those are all nouns, not adjectives. The art thing is not helping me. Art is one of my worst learnedly categories. And Cologne is in Germany. That's not helping me because it's not Bauhaus. And I'm sure there are people out there screaming about the the second clue, but that's not helping me with anything either. So let me see if I can think of an adjective that is vaguely military related. I can think of sergeant. I can think of supreme. What would that even have been? Oh boy. I was technically alive at this time, but not paying as much attention to trivia as to learning how to hold my head upright. So looking at, thinking about adjectives and looking at art and talking about Dadaism, maybe this is surrealism and maybe it's surreal. Although I I still don't know if that matches with the middle clue at all, but I, I will go with surreal. Okay, surreal is your answer, not to be confused with cereal, which starts with S as well, but it could also start with C if you were hungry in the morning. I don't know. I haven't eaten breakfast yet. I'm sorry. Uh (laughs) I have eaten breakfast, and I went right to cereal with a C as well. It's not just you. (laughs) Uh, The second part of this uh, three-clue, three-pronged fork of fungo, if you will, Tom Arnold was, of course, also inspired by your mental samurai appearances. You had to get the three celebrities and put their uh, initials in order. It was Tom Arnold, Tina Turner, and Ozzy Osbourne to form the word tattoo. And uh, one of your competitors did not know who Tom Arnold was, or at least couldn't figure it out from the picture. So I chuckled and figured, well, at least you could recognize him. Maybe I'll throw Tom Arnold in there. Oh, I see. See, now I'm wishing I had thought back through all of my mental samurai things and perhaps studied (laughs) up on them. But that's a note for next time. Or perhaps I just felt like uh, doing that for a round one to ease you into things uh, since it was uh, your most recent trivia competition I saw. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Tom Arnold was in a movie directed by John Landis in 1996, where he played the title character who was kind of thrown in uh, Roger Thornhill North by Northwest style into a, a spy situation of which he had no business being in. And he's Tom Arnold. So of course, he is uh, completely idiotic and uh, inept in in these efforts. And this was a little uh, movie called The Stupids. Ah. And so he was Mr. Stupid. Uh, Boy George in 1984 had a modest hit with a song called The War Song, which had the really, I mean, really, it's a, it's a think piece. It's a think piece. War, war is stupid and people are stupid. Deep. <laughs> and uh, the art movement uh, in Cologne was called uh, The Stupid Movement. Uh, it didn't last very long. They felt that Dada was not taking the, uh, the uh, importance of the rights of the proletariat uh, strongly enough. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, now I know. That's, uh, I feel, I, I guess I feel a little stupid, but I feel a little smarter now that I have learned about that. Well, Heather, don't worry. Love means nothing in some strange quarters. And uh, <laughs> oh, that boy, George, what a wordsmith. Uh, still, you did pretty well in that round. Uh, you got two questions correct, uh, and that gives you six points. Six, much better than zero. And it starts with S. So, well, well done staying on theme here. Uh, 
<laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> you know, yeah. you could have you could have only gotten one right. It would have been the seven point question. You still would have been on theme and one point ahead of yourself. But that's all right. It's all good. Uh, six points for you. As we head into round two, as always, as usual, point values they are going to increase to two, four, six, and eight. The categories they will be a changing, and this is what they will be a changing to. Kicking things off with science. Moving along to everybody's favorite category this season. Say it with me, folks. Only, only in. Florida! Florida. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's catching on. Uh, we're then going to move along to movies and wrap up the first half and round two with sports. But first things are first, Heather. Science, two, four, six, or eight. I like that I'm assigning point categories based on, of the four really hard things, which am I least, absolutely least confident about. And so the one... <laughs> That I, that I am least unconfident about, and thus will assign eight points to you, is this question, science. Eight points for science. Good luck. And here is said question. What word coined in 1966 by Harry Harrison refers to any artificial foodstuff created to be used instead of animal meat? I'm trying to think of all of the substitute protein and meat products that I know about, so a number of brand names and things, that's not going to be it, because this is a generic term. Side note, I had one of those Impossible Burgers recently, and it was great. It was very meat-like. And so for people on the edge about that, definitely go check it out. This is something I know that I have probably heard the term, and I'm going to hear it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why did I Why did I guess something stupid? Uh, call back to round one. Instead of just thinking about it for a moment. I'll just hum a little Boy George in the background. Yes, please. An artificial food stuff turns me away from a, a something like soy, which is an actual uh, real food stuff um, that, that is also sometimes substituted for animal meat. Um, my goodness. I'm not being. I'm not going to be able. I don't think to come up with something in a timely manner. Um, so I will go with the the answer of substitute. Substitute is your answer. So Harry Harrison was an author, dabbled in science fiction, and he wrote a book in 1966 <gasps> called. Oh no! Is it Soylent? Called More Room, More Room, which was then later turned into a movie called Soylent Green. Uh, which is, as we all know, is made of people. It's people. people. Spoiler alert. Yes, kind of a mashup, uh, did a mashup of his own of the words soybean and lentil uh, and made it soy lent, soy lent. Uh, it, it was the liquid substitute for animal meat, uh, which uh, they were lying, of course. It was not uh, meat free, it was uh, made of human. <laughs> <laughs> it was indeed sort of the exact opposite of meat-free. Well, uh, it it wasn't this. animal meat. It was human meat. <laughs> but yeah, that is actually uh, became a term uh, in science for any artificial food stuff, uh, not just the ones that they lie to us about and are actually made of people, but any uh, usually liquid uh, substitute for uh, animal proteins and animal meats is called a soylent material. So soylent is the answer. Oh, very good. I mean, I know that that is a product now, you know, that someone has developed and you can buy Soylent shakes and what have you, but I didn't realize it had a more 
generalized or genericized usage as having something being referred to as Soylent. Yeah, absolutely. I did not either, which is why I think it makes an excellent trivia question. I, I Yeah, there is a company called Soylent that's doing that uh, sort of thing. And it's like, I, like that's ballsy. Ballsy to take on something with that kind of history there. That'd be like, you know, we, oh, yeah, no, we're a diet pill. We call ourselves smallpox. You know, <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> there's a little, there's yeah. little baggage there. Well, I cannot give the points. Sadly so. Sadly so. You did it to yourselves. You blew it up. Damn you. Damn you all to hell. Uh, I am talking about Florida. Only in Florida. You have two. You have four. You have six. What say ye? All right, pivoting to Florida. As a as an avid BMG listener, I hardly ever get the Florida ones right. And the ones that I do get right just are sort of random. So unfortunately, sports is coming up. And that's, uh, spoiler alert, not a strong suit for me at all. So I'm going to give Florida four. Four points for Florida. Yes, this is what I like to call our uh, great equalizer. <laughs> no matter how much you know, you're probably not going to know this, but you never know. Uh, you, if, if you if you think outside the box and think like a Florida man, you just might get the correct answer. And four points here, Heather. Good luck to you. An unknown Port Charlotte man was being sought by local police this April after he broke into a pool installation business and taped a sign in the window. What did the sign say? Wow, so many. Florida, you just keep doing it to yourselves. I find that these stories often entail someone breaking into a location and either having something weird going on with themselves or doing something weird in the location or both. Oh, my goodness. It could, of course, be almost anything. And and the sign could have multiple words on it, and one of them begins with an S. And I find that my favorite part of these questions is actually just finding out what the ridiculous reality is and having it be probably stranger than fiction. So you said it was a pool installation company? Yes, a pool installation business. Then I am going to try to think of something vaguely pool related, and I will say no swimming. No swimming. An excellent, excellent uh, answer on your part. Uh, So the... However... However, yes, indeed. However, uh, as as of uh, my research, they had not caught the the culprit here. So, uh, as to what the person's motivation was for uh, this little, uh, shall we say, shenanigans being being the S episode here, uh, but they they had video of him doing this. So uh, he broke into the business. He sat in a chair. He surfed the internet. He swiped a soda from the fridge. Oh wow, got comfy. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when he left, he uh, left behind this sign taped to the window. And the sign said, secretary wanted $17 an hour. Wow. Uh, wow. No, no, no word on if he then, uh, if the plan was that he was going to then go back and apply for the job that he himself created. <laughs> wow, that's one way to do it. I mean, in some sense, it's possible he's a job creator. You know, he's trying to employ people. With non-existent jobs. I can admire that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, I guess they don't have a secretary because if they had a secretary, she would have been there to uh, screen him at the <laughs> at the door and say, can I help you, sir? Oh, classic. And though I didn't get the points, this is exactly the sort of wackadoo things I expect from this category. So I find myself satisfied. Well, hopefully let's move on to questions that actually do have answers that are gettable. <laughs> Movies is up next. Uh, I know what you're doing, but just to make it official, uh, two or six? To make it official, six points, please. Shocker! <laughs> All right. Surprise! 
Good luck, Heather. Here is your six-point movies question. After a late-in-the-game decision to add an entirely new character to this classic film, a large portion of the new lead's action and dialogue was improvised. What was this Oscar-nominated movie? Well, Oscar-nominated but probably means not Oscar winning. So that that theoretically would help me narrow it down a little bit. But there are a lot of S movies. So it's a film where we're adding a character late and then that character has a sort of changes the whole trajectory of the movie. So I'm trying to think of S. I mean, the things that immediately come to mind is something like Star Wars, Star Trek, but I don't, I don't know enough about them to know if there was some sort of last minute addition. And then I also think of something that's obviously wrong, but amuses me like Jaws. It's like, what if they decided at the last minute, we, this movie needs a shark? And they're like, <laughs> oh, this is exactly what we were missing this whole time. <laughs> My leaning is to go with Star Wars, but I'm sure that's actually won Oscars and isn't just nominated. Although an Oscar winning film would also have been nominated. That's how that works. Um, yes, that would be a prerequisite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Generally, that's how that works. Um, I wonder if it's Shrek. Could it be Shrek? And then they see, but if they added, well, so when they're adding a character, like if they added Donkey later on, they wouldn't necessarily have to have Shrek redo all of his lines. I say Shrek as if Shrek is the actual character doing the lines and not the actor Mike Myers. Improvised also means these weren't scripted lines. So it's probably either someone who's just good at coming up with stuff off the bat, or they only had a few lines a la I am Groot. But I need a classic S film. So my not Stockholm answers here is going to be not Sharknado. Classic though it is, I don't think Oscar nominated. Only because it is ineligible as a television film. Because goodness knows, uh, truly an American gem. I will say Star Wars. Star Wars is your answer. Not quite sure that uh, anything in the Star Wars universe was uh, uh, seemingly made up on the spot as the midichlorians in the first couple of uh, <laughs> prequels. Ah. But uh, no, no, uh, George Lucas, I think, uh, a lot more of a control freak uh, uh, in fair. terms of that, even if he is going to change his mind as to who shot first. But uh, we won't get into that here. This was an interesting uh, situation where the director, also was the screenwriter, uh, had an idea for a story about one person and it was going to be kind of like an anthology of this one person's life and just different little scenarios. Uh, you know, this story, this story, this story, this story kind of thing. And then settled on, well, instead of just making them unconnected stories, uh, let's just group them all together, get a whole, take these stories and just pan them out to different characters and just have them all in the movie from the get-go. And so he wrote this, this uh, entire screenplay uh, with these six characters. And at the very last minute, he said, you know, we need a seventh character in here. He took a guy who had already been cast in one of the six and just said, well, you're going to play this other, this new guy and just, you know, wing it, make it up. Uh, it was a Japanese film from Akira Kurosawa. Uh, known as Shichini no Samurai, otherwise known in English as Seven Samurai. Hmm, which I have heard of but never seen. Very interesting. Continuing our samurai theme, Heather. <laughs> yeah, it keeps sort of hitting me in the face right after you say it. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, Toshiro Mufune, uh, he actually uh, originally got got uh, uh, cast in one of Kurosawa's films because uh, 
he had had an incident. They, they wouldn't let him in for the interview, and he was just angry. And it just so happens he was auditioning for an angry character, and he wasn't acting when he came in. He just like started screaming at them for this slight. Uh, and they were going to throw him out, but Kurosawa said no. But she's clearly he can do angry, so let's give him a shot. And the, he then became like uh, the, his muse. He was like in all of his films from that point forward. So. <laughs> Wow. Teaching you that uh, one, you know, method acting can go pretty deep. And also sometimes, you know, if if angry is what you do well, you can make a whole career out of it. Indeed. And and uh, speaking of method, he uh, apparently stayed in character the entire time he was on. So he pulled a Daniel Day-Lewis before maybe Daniel Day-Lewis was even born. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, was in character all the time. And he just made it up as he went along. Uh, it was nominated for art direction and costume design, but won neither. And it was a foreign film. So, uh, you know, back in those days, those those did not win. So be it. Uh, cannot give you the points. We've hit a bit of a rut here, but I'm sure sports will break you right out of it. <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm sure too. Let's pretend that's true. Yeah, sure. Sports, which starts with S. So that's something. Something also starts with S. I'm, <laughs> I'm just procrastinating. Here we go. Okay. Yes, indeed. Good luck to you. For the love of Rob Lowe, here is your two-point sports question. Players named Stigma, Shelton, Snyder, and Silas were all part of the roster of what championship team from 1979? I don't even get a sport, and I don't recognize any of the names. Let's see. I can certainly come up, hopefully, after um, filibustering a little, with a, a team that has that begins with an S. What was the year? 1979. So names that come to mind are the Seattle Seahawks and the Supersonics. Um, which I don't know if either of those is appropriate for that year. Because again, sports, Achilles heel. I'm working on it. Other other teams, Pittsburgh Steelers, that's an S. And certainly a successful franchise. Uh, I don't think it's going to be any of my beloved Wisconsin teams, which is fine. I'm still reeling over the Bucks falling out of the NBA playoffs, so I'm not going to even wander down that path any further. I guess of the things that are coming to mind, it could be something from St. Louis as well. I wish I recognized any of those four players or even had an idea of a sport, but I don't. So I will, oh, it's, oh, it's probably going to be some team that I've never even heard of for some reason. Well, I will find out shortly. I'm going to go with uh, the Steelers. The Steelers is your answer. So... Uh, the Steelers did indeed win in 1979. They were Super Bowl champions and they had some S players on their team. They had Uh, Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. uh Unfortunately, none of those are Sigma, Shelton, Snyder, or Silas. Okay. Uh, Missed it by that much. Yeah, missed it by that much. Jack Sigma, a very tall basketball player. You said it. You went past it. They no longer exist. Uh, Much to the chagrin of their fan base. They are the Seattle Supersonics defeating the uh, Washington uh, Bullets because they were the Bullets back then when, you know, they weren't afraid of uh, having a team name that uh, inspires murder and and gun violence. Seattle Supersonics was the answer. Uh, I cannot accept Steelers, though they, they, uh, you know, kudos to you. They did win a title in 79. So you were not too far off base there. Just obviously not apropos of the players. 
Okay. Well, I, you know, obviously I would have liked to get the points. I'm somewhat pleased that I could come up with multiple teams that are not out of the realm of possibility. I went with the wrong one, but now I have learned. It's okay. It is all good. Although we did not get any points in that round. Hey, at least you're sticking on theme because six still, <laughs> six plus zero six still, still, it's an S. So, hey, right. Uh-huh. That's let's what we're put a pin in that. Yes. Let, we may have to come back to that depending on how the rest of this game goes, but absolutely. Indeed. Well, fear not because it is now halftime. And as you know, Halftime is our only partial credit question of the game. So uh, you don't have to get it entirely right to walk away with a little additional uh, skin in the game, a little more uh, surplus to your point total. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask you a question, and then we're going to pause very, very briefly for a word from our non-existent sponsors. And when we return, hopefully you will have the correct answer or answers to the following question. Here it is, Heather. You know, there's a lot of places out there that start with the letter S. Very popular letter, as you know. Based upon current 2019 UN estimates, I would like for you to name for me any five of the eight officially recognized countries and dependent territories that start with the letter S with the smallest population. I'll give you two points for each correct answer you give me. Take a little bit of time to think about your responses to that question, and we will be back after the break. If you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron, just like Blair, Jake, Brandon, and many others who have joined since the start of the season. Check out patreon.com slash beatmyguest for details. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Metal Samurai Champion Heather Hurley. When we last left Heather, she was sitting on six points, working on the following halftime bonus question. There are a lot of places out there that begin with the letter S based upon current UN estimates. I have asked Heather to name for me any five of the eight countries and dependent territories that start with the letter S that have the smallest population. Heather, whenever you are ready, let me know what you got and we'll see how many points I can give you. Well, I'm going to give some answers of things that are in that sort of gray area of territory slash region slash recognized entity that may not fall into the, the actual category of countries and dependencies, but that is the risk I take in the hot seat. A lot of the things that I came up with, of course, are very populous and probably not going to be correct, but I am going to say, uh, for my first answer, Seychelles. I'm also going to say Saipan. Um, I'm going to go with something that I've only seen written down. I don't know that I've ever heard it pronounced other than maybe when I was watching the March of Nations at the Olympics or something. So I'm going to prepare in advance for the mockery. I, I I know guys, it's like when you say someone says hyperbole and they learn that it is pronounced hyperbole, but the, the entity that I'm going for is something like Sao Tome and Principe or Principe. Um, again, apologies to the denizens of that fine place. I just, it's me. It's not you. It's me. Let's see. I think that's three. I will go also with St. Thomas, which might not rise to the entity to the level required here, but I will go with St. Thomas. And then 
for number five, I will say Sudan. So I will inform you uh, that uh, you were not shut out. So that's Yay. always a good thing. You will be adding to your score, whether or not it's enough to uh, keep you on theme. I, I don't know about that, but we'll... <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go over the eight uh, answers, starting with the smallest and working my way up to the relatively biggest. <laughs> you know, a lot of S, S countries uh, and stuff out there. So Sweden, don't worry. Not an answer. Not an answer. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I said, oh, not Sweden. Or is it? No, it isn't. <laughs> no, not at all. So starting at... Uh, uh, oh, there are t 233 recognized countries slash dependent territories by the United Nations as of uh, 2019. Uh, so the smallest of this batch comes in at 229 on the list. About 4,000 people living on the British overseas territory of, it's a mouthful, St. Helena, Ascension, and Tristan da Cunha. Easy for you to say. Imagine fitting that on a postcard. Yes, but we'll shorten it to St. Helena. Uh, it's uh, off of the African coast in the Atlantic Ocean. So about 4,000 people live there. Really tiny. Uh, the other dependent territory on this list at 227 with 6,000 people is a French territory that is uh, right off the coast of Newfoundland. And it is called St. Pierre and Miquelon. Okay, I don't know that I've ever heard of that. I had not either. I was very, very surprised that there's this little French thing right in the middle of, uh, in between the islands there. So it's... <laughs> you do you, France. Hey, we're not giving that up. <laughs> but you have to say that in a haughty French accent and gesticulate oh. as you say it. We'll not give it up. No, man, no. We need our strategic uh, salmon uh, resources. Let's go to the, the really big stuff now. <laughs> Uh, at 33,000, we have San Marino. Oh, of course. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering if there was something small in Europe that I was overlooking. And, well, they're easy to overlook. Only 33,000 people there. I, I think there's, there's just about more in my hometown here. Uh, <laughs> uh, then we have, we do have an island. Uh, it is about 40,000 people. It is St. Martin. Okay, I have heard of that. A little Caribbean uh, thing. A lot of the Caribbean. Uh, a little tiny here. At 56,000, we have St. Kitts and Nevis. Oh, sure. Hamilton. Hamilton is frowning down on me. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, at 95,000, and worth two points to you, we have the Seychelles. Very good. So that is something that is at the appropriate Entity categorization for this list. Very indeed, good. indeed. At 110,000, we have St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Sure. And the last one on our list at 180,000, St. Lucia. Ah, I should Saint have thought through my St. Islands. I thought of St. Thomas, I thought of St. Croix, but I should have tugged at that thread a little bit more. Yeah, Sao Tome and Principe just missing out on this. They have about 199,000 people, so just a little bit more than St. Lucia. And Saipan is part of the Northern Mariana Islands, ah. uh, which would be the, the collective there and is a, a U.S. Commonwealth and therefore not a dependent territory. How dare they? <laughs> but you know what? And that wasn't a shout out. You did get two points. So I'm going to add those two to the six you had coming into halftime. We're going to leave halftime with eight, not quite double digits, but it's a double Tristan, which is just appropriate. As we mentioned, St. Helena Ascension and Tristan da Cunha. 
Well, well, da Cunha there to Tristan there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Heather, it is time for round three. And as you know, the point values are going to stay the same at two, four, six, and eight. Over the categories, well, they're going to get a little bit different here. And we're going to kick things off with literature, followed up with analogies, moving along to history. And we are going to wrap up round three with who done it. But first on tap is literature two, four, six, or eight. Books are kind of my thing, she said, hesitantly setting herself up for possible embarrassing defeat. But I am going to steer into the skid. I'm going to say eight points. Eight points, steering into the skid and looking to double her score for the game in one fell swoop. I wish you well. I wish you luck. I wish you'd just answer the question correctly. <laughs> Here we go, Heather. Your good luck. Here is your eight-point question. Wind, sand, and stars, and night flight are just two of the works of this author, perhaps best known for a story about a plane crash in the Sahara. Who is he? What's a he? That gives me something. A plane crash in the Sahara should should ring bells. The only thing I can think of is um, a movie that I think was called Flight of the Phoenix about a plane crash in a desert. And I don't even know if that's based on a book. And I don't even know if that's this person's book. And I certainly don't know what this person's name is. So let me think about authors. It sounds like it's a modern author, maybe of more popular fiction, like a Michael Crichton type that has apparently a lot of aviation meteorology sorts of things. That could be the first name is an S, like a Stephen something. It's not Stephen King. It's not Stockholm. Um, Although by the time you leave the hot seat, you'll be suffering from Stockholm syndrome, I'm sure. Yeah, well... That's the risk we take when we play. Um, Stevens, Saul, going through all my Bible names. I'm now trying to come up with an intelligible guess. Oh, I've disappointed myself with lit. I was hoping. Let's see. Nothing is coming to mind. The best guess I'm going to be able to come up with is Stephen King, and I know that's not right. But I will put my pondering to an end. My hopes of sweet 16 in a single question are dashed, but um, I'm curious to find out who this is. Sure, absolutely. So this is a guy who started out as an aviator. He was he was a pilot. He flew planes. Ah. Uh, he wrote some stories, basically, which were about flying and flight and aviation, including wind, sand, and stars and night flight. Uh, and then he actually, he and his co-pilot crashed their plane in the Sahara, and they were wandering around the desert, and they were lost, and they nearly died of dehydration and they were miraculously rescued and he decided to write a book about it and his experiences there where he had this kind of dreamlike delusion that a young little boy came and rescued him that boy was the little prince le petit prince oh yeah okay and we were talking about the author antoine saint exuberi and that is another one that I don't know that I've ever heard the pronunciation. So even if I had to, if I had come up with it, I would have, I would have delighted everyone and myself with trying <laughs> to pronounce that name. But oh, very good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had all those saints: uh, Saint Martin, Saint Lucia, <laughs> Saint Vincent. Why not add the Saint Exuberi to the mix? Uh, the, the, there's actually an airport in France named after him. Wow, the aviation connection is really strong there, and I didn't know that. That's cool. Yes, the aviation is strong in this one. Yes, yes. Maybe not. (laughs) Well, the book was written a long time ago in a country far, far away. Rob Lowe, uh, so what's it like? uh... (laughs) All the dish. All All the dish. dish. Oh, my goodness. 
Oh, that analogies analogies is up next you can wager two four or six what say ye heather i'm gonna go six on analogies six points on analogies good luck to you and here is your six point analogies question patsy klein is to beverly d'angelo as loretta lynn is to who i've definitely heard of patsy klein and loretta lynn beverly d'angelo sounds familiar i'm not sure what the the connection is patsy klein um singer loretta lynn singer as well i wonder if beverly d'angelo was an actress and portrayed patsy klein in something i feel like loretta lynn if that's coal miner's daughter then there was a movie about her as well oh but who was in it well i so i might be able to 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 back into this by thinking of actresses with an s Oh, I okay. I think it came to me. I think that Sissy Space. Uh, I think it's Sissy Spacek. I think she was in a movie called Coal Miner's Daughter, or or something like that, where she played Loretta Lynn. And it's the kind of answer that comes in a flash and seems to check all the boxes. But I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to say Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek is your answer. So you are indeed correct. Patsy Cline is a country music singer, uh, famous probably. Most for the song Crazy, which uh, Ross Perot used as his campaign slogan all those years ago. Uh, Loretta Lynn, also country music singer, sister to Crystal Gale, another country music singer. Yeah, Beverly D'Angelo, probably best known for being in National Lampoon's Vacation with Chevy Chase, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, But she is an actress, and she portrayed Patsy Cline in a little 1980 film called Coal Miner's Daughter, Sissy Spacek won the Oscar for portraying Loretta Lynn in the same film. You're just a coal miner's daughter with six more points. Well done, Heather. Very good. That one felt good. That one was uh, the stock. That's the Stockholm um, energy I should have have uh, harnessed from round one. So I'm just glad you didn't say Susan Sarandon. Uh, she th- she came to mind, but I didn't I didn't verbalize it. So cool excellent excellent job excellent job and we are off the schneid with six points under your belt for that one we have two questions left in round three uh they are going to be worth either two or four and the next category is history i'll do four points for history four points for history good luck here is your question general william shafter and admiral william sampson were part of the multi-pronged attack that led to what military victory? Military victories that come to mind, uh, which if you want to get deep about it, every victory is also a defeat for someone, but that's probably a different podcast. So thinking of big military battles, um, the fact that there's a general and an admiral involved is interesting because a multi-pronged attack means this is something really big. So when I think of really big battles, I think of things like D-Day, which does not begin with an S. Um, I think of something like Waterloo, also not an S. And I don't know if there was a a huge naval multi-pronged something. It just seems mostly like, you know, men on horseback running into each other, which so much of war is, but that's another podcast too. Okay. I'm wondering if this is something Civil War, but I don't know that there was a ton of naval stuff there other than Monitor and Merrimack. The names definitely put me in a Civil War kind of a mind. I'm imagining men with just really impressive regal beards and stern expressions. But what would be a Civil War 
battle within us. The ones that are coming to mind, Bull Run, Manassas, Gettysburg, Sharpsburg, maybe Sharpsburg is something. Um, it's not the Battle of New Orleans because that's a real war. It's not Custer's Last Stand. It's not anything like Sherman's March to the Sea because that's Sherman is the S and that's not right. I guess Sharpsburg is the thing that I'm coming up with. Um, and I may not even be in the right conflict or country, but I will stick with Sharpsburg. Okay. Sharpsburg is your answer. Um, well, certainly with these English sounding names, uh, we're looking for, you could, you could possibly have thought perhaps this was British or something like, or maybe even Australian or something like that. But yeah, yeah, it was American involvement. These are both Americans. They fought alongside such uh, luminaries as William McKinley and Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. This was the Spanish-American War, more specifically the Battle of San Juan Hill. Yep. Teddy Roosevelt. Cool. My favorite president. That's... That's, you know, I can't fault the question. I'm, I'm getting all angry as if. No, and you know, you, you were very, you know, spot on there saying, oh, well, there's a general and an admiral, uh, land and, and water. Well, it's Cuba. It's an island. So, yeah, <laughs> they were fighting in Cuba that you kind of needed both. And I, you know, there were, I'm sure there were regal beards. So that gives me some comfort. Uh, which is a lot different from the regal beagle, which was only found in Three's Company. So, ah, yes, I have to bring it back to television as often as I can. <laughs> Come and knock on my door for this two-point question. That is all that is left in this round. Two points on who done it. A little biographical blurb that hopefully you'll be able to identify the person who it belongs to. Are you ready, Heather? I'm ready. For two points. Son of a mathematician, this Stanford grad clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor before entering the private sector. In 2016, he was on Barack Obama's shortlist for the Supreme Court. Who done it? This is certainly a DC-esque question. Supreme Court nominees. Um, I mean, I guess there's, of course, the people that are on the Supreme Court. Um, Samuel Alito, that's an S. The other name coming to mind is Merrick Garland, who was nominated, did not get on the court, but that's not an S, so that's not right. Clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor, I don't know if that's going to help me. There are plenty of hooks here that should certainly be triggering something. Son of a mathematician is one. Stanford, private sector. Some That's really interesting. There's a lot of angles to this person. Oh, and I'm sure... I'm, I, I'm not sure that I'll recognize the name, but I'm hoping I'll recognize the name. I tend to fo- follow the court kind of closely, but what S would it be? Well, it's not Merrick Garland. I can't think of any other unsuccessful nominees right now. So I guess I'll go with Samuel Alito because that is an S. That is indeed an S, Samuel Alito. Uh, so this individual is... Someone who clerked for Senator O'Connor, as I said, uh, went to the private sector and then was nominated for the U.S. Court of Appeals and was confirmed unanimously. No problems or issues there. And then when a certain uh, Justice Scalia passed away, uh, Barack Obama had a list of several names that he was considering nominating. And of course, as we all know, he nominated Merrick Garland, who is on the Supreme Court today, because that's oh. what you do. And oh, wait a second. <laughs> That's not what happens, McConnell. Um, yeah, so this was basically the the runner-up 
to Merrick Garland in terms of who was going to be nominated. Uh, and he is, he would have been uh, the first justice of Indian descent had he uh, made it to the Supreme Court. His name is Sri Srinivasan. Oh, that name does ring a bell. Very interesting. Okay. And again, the hooks of Stanford, private sector. Gotcha. Yeah. And he definitely, uh, you know, obviously still in the running down the line. I mean, you know, you never know. <laughs> it's an honor to be nominated, question mark? Question mark. If they let you be nominated, question mark. Anywho, I'm not getting into it. Not today. Not today, Satan. Uh, <laughs> wow. wow, that escalated quickly. <laughs> As it does. Your score escalated a lot quicker in this round than it did in the previous round because you got one right. You got six points in that uh, round. Well done. We're going to add the six points to the eight you had coming in. Hey, double digits are here. 14 points as we enter round four, Heather. As you know, our highest scoring round of the game. Point values are going to increase three, five, seven, and nine. And here are the categories we're going to be using around four. We are going to kick things off with audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. I'm going to follow it up with the mashup, move along to music, and we're going to wrap things up in regulation in round four with what comes next. But before that, what comes next is Audio Hodgepodge, three, five, seven, or nine. I will say, oh boy, I will say five for Audio Hodgepodge. Five points for Audio Hodgepodge. Here is how the Audio Hodgepodge question works, Heather. I am going to ask you a question. When I'm done with the question, I'm going to play a little clip for you. Hopefully, the idea is that when I am done playing said clip, you will have the correct answer to the question. And here is said question worth five points to you. I'm actually not going to ask you a question. I want you to answer the question posed by this game show host way back in 1990. Here's a question. Laverne and Shirley have a contest at work to see who can tap the most beer bottles in one hour. Laverne finishes 395 bottles while Shirley taps 67 six-pack. Name the brewery and tell me who won the contest. So I heard him ask the question, and you want me to, like if I was a contestant on that show, answer the question. Correct. Okay, now I haven't watched a lot of Laverne and Shirley, but I am a native of Milwaukee, where I think it was set. So that gives me some context for the brewery question, which I'm gonna, or not, because it could be just a fictional brewery. but Laverne and Shirley, I know Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. I also know that there was a Milwaukee brewery called Schlitz. So I'm going to guess for the brewery Schlitz and hope that that is, in fact, what they did on the show. Because um, otherwise, it's just going to be a random guess. And I'd like to at least guess on something that's possible. Now, as far as who won the, the contest, because it's the options are either Laverne or Shirley. And being mindful that this is the S episode, I'm going to hope slash educatedly guess that the winner was Shirley. So Schlitz and Shirley are my answers. Schlitz and Shirley are your answers. Uh, yeah, there, there's uh, math involved, uh, certainly. And the clip is very grainy. I, I, will, I will grant you that. Did you recognize the, the host by any stretch of the imagination or where this from? No, I mean, I, I watch a lot of Buzzer, the Buzzer Network, and that has a lot of those old-timey game shows. And it almost sounded like, is the guy Bill Cullen um, or whoever was Betty White's husband? But... Honestly, they all sort of run together a little bit for me, so I couldn't say definitively who it is. Sure. Uh, Alan Ludden is, uh, was Betty White's husband. He hosted Password. Uh, but yeah, Bill Cullen was also a game show host. Uh, a host. Uh, this is a clip uh, from a, a show called Remote Control from MTV, and that was uh, Ken Ober, the host of the show. 
I'm I'm not going to give you the answer to this question, or, or or rather, I am, but not me here today. Me from 1990 is going to give you the answer to the question. Oh, this is exciting! Oh, this is this is the best part of any of these episodes that I've been on. Here we go. What was your answer? I answered Josh and Shirley. Josh and Shirley is right. How much did you wager? I got 109 points there. Okay. Which gives you 219. Oh, Glenn. What was your answer? I had Josh, Brewery, and Shirley. Chuck. Okay, and you wagered 100 points. 100 points, which gives you. Oh, I've been making fun of you all episode and, and mocking your mental samurai uh, appearance, which I don't know why I'm mocking it. You won a lot of money. Uh, all I won from my second place finish on remote control was a pair of British Knight sneakers and a version of the home game. <laughs> also good. Also wonderful consolation prizes. But yes, that was that was me uh, giving you the correct answer uh, and uh, ending up as the highest scoring runner-up in the history of remote control with that wager uh yeah uh shots is the name of the brewery it is uh, a fictionalized version of schlitz they did not want to go full on uh with the steel there but uh shots and shirley was the answer thank you me from the past (laughs) congratulations to glenn for winning questions like that in the future where you can just throw back to your past self that was very cool Hey, you know, we get we need a gimmick every once in a while, once in a while. Thank you for being here for it and thank you for indulging me. <laughs> or maybe in the future we can throw back to one of my past TV appearances and just ball ball you know, throw an idea. Oh, out don't there. think I wasn't thinking that you if, if I had found a, a good clip of you getting one wrong, you just didn't get a lot, a lot wrong. <laughs> <sighs> By the way, do you remember the name of the uh of the tiger in your uh, memory clip? Matt. Yeah, there you go. All right, well done. <laughs> Yeah, that, oh goodness. Yeah, the memory ones were uh, hideous. So I'm glad that at this time, BMG does not have, look at this picture, and then I'm going to ask you a question about it, questions, because those are scary. Hard to do in a podcast form, I will say. I will say. Uh, you didn't get the points, but perhaps just uh, a little nostalgia rubbed off on you, and you're feeling a little a little glow of nostalgia from, from listening to me Absolutely. as a college student. Oh, do I look young in that clip. Anyway the days <laughs> indeed mashup let's move on to mashup mashup is next uh you have three seven and nine remaining to you what do you want to wager on the mashup i'll do seven all right seven points for the mashup good luck heather here it is as always two answers smooshed together and linked by a common word or syllable in order to get the points you must give me the entire complete answer and here it is in 2009, this was the last original song played live by a band formed in 1991 before they broke up and moved to the home of a star-shaped Canadian citadel. Well, star-shaped Canadian citadel, well, star-shaped citadel, period, points me to some kind of fort, and then I need to try to mash that, proceeding with that theory, I need to mash that into a song that would end with Fort or fort and pop music is not a strength for me. I don't, I'm honestly like, I don't even know necessarily what the band would be. And even if I did, that might not help me with the song. I was just in Toronto last year and I went to, I think, Fort York. I cannot think of any songs that end in fort. I'm going to have, and that might not even, that might not even be right, but I'm trying to think of other Canadian landmarks and I'm sorry, Canada, I'm coming up a little 
So I'm going to, I'm going to pass. All I can think of is, is for York or Fort something. And I'm not going to be able to come up with a song. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this is a hard one. Absolutely. It's round four. We get a little harder in round four. Uh, yeah. So uh, in 2009, a little band that had formed in 1991 decided that they had finally had enough of each other and were never going to perform live again. That was the Gallagher Brothers and their band Oasis. Okay. Uh, oh, and- no, Wonderwall. Uh-oh. Okay. No, I'm not there yet. Keep going. Uh, not Wonderwall. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the last song that they played uh, will be smooshed together with... Uh, the home of a star-shaped Canadian citadel. That citadel is called uh, the Halifax Citadel. No, I'm still not going there. So, so I'm feeling more relieved that I didn't almost get it. We are looking for Champagne Supernova Scotia. Wow. Okay. All right. It's it's, it's sinking in. The song is lot. Champagne Supernova, and of course Halifax is in Nova Scotia. So there you go. That I'm just letting that one breathe for a moment. That that's that's a lot. It's a mouthful, but, uh, you know, super, supernova, Scotia, both S's, so it made me smile. That's how this category goes. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Slow going, slow going, but you know what? We can still close with a bang. Two questions left. We have the high-low, we have a three, we have a nine, and we have um, music. Well, I just proved I'm not great with music, and depending on the, the genre and the time period and all of that, so I will go with three points. Three points is what I was expecting. Good luck. And here's your three-point music question. Stay was a 1992 hit by what duo comprised of Marcella Detroit and a former member of Bananarama? Hmm. Bananarama came up, I think, on Learned League a few seasons ago, and I, of course, totally whiffed on that question. Um, yeah, so Marcella, I'm thinking, is a woman. I had an, an great aunt named Marcella, and I think Bananarama was women also. So I'm looking for a duo with women. It's not the Supremes. It's not the duos that are coming to mind that are men. It's not Mental Samurai Alert. It's not Hall & Oates. Um, something with Sister? Twisted Sister, Sister Sledge. I don't know enough about any of these artists to rule them in or out. It's not going to be something like the Pointer Sisters. Um, I guess I'll go with Twisted Sister. Twisted Sister is your answer. Uh, Twisted Sister was a heavy metal band that uh, nope. did the not kiss it. makeup thing uh, kind of thing. Uh, Dee Snyder was the lead singer of that, and they were caught up in the controversy. It was, it's the right time frame, basically. Uh, you know, they were caught up in the uh, Tipper Gore warning label uh, stuff that was going on there. Uh, okay. D-, D. Snyder testified before Congress. It was, it was very eloquent, and which surprised people who thought these were just you know screaming idiots. And uh, sure. not the case. Uh, so no, unfortunately, not the right answer. But you were on the right track, absolutely. For there is a sister involved here. So yeah, Marcella Detroit uh, joined up with uh, one of the former members of Bananarama by the name of Shaban Fahey. She at one point was married to uh, Dave Stewart of Eurythmics. Not to be confused, of course, with Karen Woodward, who was also in Bananarama and one time married to Andrew Ridgely of Wham. But the, you know, those Bananaramas, they, they got around. Goodness, it's just an internet community. It is indeed. So they had a, a, a hit. Uh, I believe it went as high as number four on the Billboard charts in America, but it was uh, really well received in uh, the UK with the song Stay. The video is just uh, another one of those nightmare-fueled videos, which starts off as this slow ballad, and then it 
turns into this, I'm going to get you the wheel. It was just this kind of creepy little almost rap going on in the background there, just as a counter melody. Bizarre kind of thing. The dark eyeliner and smeared, and I'm creepy. I'm, I'm one of the three witches, is basically what they're doing there. And they were very big fans of Macbeth and had a lot of thematic uh, songs of that ilk. And they were a group called Shakespeare's Sister. Oh, okay. So there is a sister. Absolutely. There was indeed a sister in there. You just, they not necessarily twisted, more like weird, but, uh, you know. It's in the, the same universe. Same okay. universe. Yeah. You, 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 you know, you were not brothers and sisters, which of course start uh, oh. Rob Lowe for a number of years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it all comes back to Rob Lowe, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it really does. Yeah. Let's make that perfectly clear. It really does. All right. Well, unfortunately, in terms of uh, right answers, you're one of the outsiders at the moment. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, we are going to finish strong because we have still remaining, Heather, the nine pointer, the highest scoring question of regulation. It is what comes next, where you get to complete the series. Are you ready? I am ready. What is the question? Brian Cranston, 66. John Hamm, 67. Rami Malik. 68. What comes next? 69. When you first started saying the numbers, I thought of years. And then you said Brian Cranston, um, who I think the only 66 connection was where he, um, I think, portrayed LBJ on Broadway. And then you said John Hamm, 67. And that made me think, oh, yes, John Hamm was in Mad Men. That was set in the 60s. And then you said Rami Malik, 68. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, maybe these are not years. Maybe they are numbers of ceremonies. And these are all television actors. So maybe this is either a Golden Globes or an Emmy. And they won Best Actor, I guess, for uh, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and Mr. Robot, respectively. Now, that brings me to 69, which would be, continuing down this road, the same ceremony event that these other television actors were honored at with, I'll assume, the the best TV actor award. And I need to think of who would have gotten it after Rami Malek. So it's going to be someone on a current or very recently finished television show who was a lead actor. What would that be? I don't think it's someone Game of thrones a because that's not generally getting a lot of acting stuff. I'm trying to think through my prestige streaming series like House of Cards. Spacey? Boy, that's a possibility, but hashtag awkward. Handmaid's Tale. The actors on that are really more of a supporting role. It could be something from This Is Us, which I know has a lot of phenomenal acting, but that I don't watch. Oh, I wonder if it's um, Sterling K. Brown. Is he the guy on This Is Us? Oh, I wonder if that's it, but I also wonder if that's a supporting actor role instead. I actually like that now that I'm thinking of it. Um, I think Spacey might be a red herring, although certainly a lead actor in a prestigious and recognized series. But I I have visions of Sterling K. Brown being lauded, winning an award. I don't know if it was lead actor. I don't know if I'm even on the right trail, but I'm going to go with Sterling K. Brown. You correctly sussed out that these were TV actors and uh, drama, and uh, definitely the 66, 67, 68, 69, 
It does indeed refer to the number of the ceremony. Uh, this is the primetime Emmys, those wacky Emmys that we love so well. So the question is, who won that next drama Emmy? As it turns out, there were three nominees that fit this category in 2017, which is the year of which uh, the 69th was uh, for uh, last year in 2018, which was uh, the 70th, uh, Matthew Reese from The Americans won. Uh, ah, the yes, yes, I recall that. And I watched The Americans, so that was very good to see. But in the year before, there were three nominees. As I said, we had uh, from House of Cards, Kevin Spacey. He did not win. Oh, good. Well, I mean, not, oh, that's not terrible, but could, go on. Yes, we had Liev Shriver from Ray Donovan, multiple nominee in this category, and he did not win. Now, you mentioned Sterling K. Brown. He won the Emmy for his portrayal of on uh, Ryan Murphy's uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson in a limited miniseries for his for his role as Christopher Darden. But he also won for This Is Us in 2017 and is the correct answer. Randall on This Is Us, Sterling K. Brown. You are correct. Nine points for you. Well done. Oh, that one, that one took some work, but I'm proud of that one. I was fearful for a moment that the picture I recalled seeing of him holding an award was the one for the or OJ Simpson thing and not, not this. So that one feels good. Indeed. I thought I'd play with you a little bit since you got the answer right. <laughs> oh, dastardly. Uh, but well done. Well done. Nine points uh, for that question. Nine points for that round. I'm going to add those nine to the 14 you had coming into the round, which means we are entering the confidence question with 23 points. Here's how this works, Heather. This is your last chance to try and improve your final score. Only one question is before you. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category and you must wager between one and 10 points. Get it right. I will add it to your score and happily so. But Heather. If you get it wrong, ooh, 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 ooh. if you get it wrong, I'm going to have to put you into a different hot seat, one that's connected to some sort of robot arm and just thrash you. Oh, wait, you've done that. Never mind. I have no threat for you. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, well, wait a minute. That That's a positive. I'll turn it <laughs> Indeed. Now, this season, I am asking all of my hot seat residents to provide me with options. For the confidence question, Heather has graciously done so. I have deviously selected the one that I preferred. So I ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in Hello Kitty? Oh, I'm delighted that I'm going to be asked a question about Hello Kitty on BMG. I well, I already have a lost number with 20. My score is 23. It is. I already have a lost number with 23, so we can check that off the list. I think I am going to wager seven. Seven points. I see what you did there. No need uh-huh. to discuss it any further. Yes, indeed. That is an acceptable wager. Are you ready for your seven point Hello Kitty question? <laughs> okay. Well, now I, I'm sensing in the tone and perhaps the facial expressions a little skepticism about my beloved Hello Kitty. I'm glad to broaden everyone's horizons a little bit with this question. So I am absolutely prepared for it. All right, Miss Sanrio. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no, the answer's not going to be Sanrio. Well, that was going to be my first guess. Yeah, well, that would have been a little too easy. Even I knew that one. So here we go. <laughs> In May of 2010, the New York Times wrote an article about the fear that Hello Kitty's time may be coming to an end. Oh, no. Based upon the disastrous flop 
of then recent newly released characters. What was the name of the fashion expert from the Big Apple and her best friend, a cat, both born in March of 2010? Wow. We're, we're going to be broadening my horizons on this question as well. The Hello Kitty universe is ever expanding. My heart is honestly still pounding at hearing that Hello Kitty was was being considered in danger or adjacent to a flop because that's not the world that I want to live in, frankly. Um, I, do, I don't know who this is or what this character is, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to come up with a guess. But I mean, honestly, just that we're talking about Hello Kitty is almost prize enough for me. Fair enough. Uh, there, I, I am certainly not necessarily what you would call a fan of Hello Kitty. I'm aware of Hello Kitty. I, I lived in New York for many years, and there was a Hello Kitty flagship store in the Times Square area. My wife and I did have a Batsmaru that we called Ham for some reason. I don't know why, but... <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, that counts. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I'm aware. I am aware. Uh, so yeah, so Sanrio is always trying to add new characters to the Hello Kitty universe. Uh, that's how they make a lot of money is merchandise, and so the more characters, the merrier. Um, I'm actually surprised that they were not sued heavily for this one. Uh, just looking at the picture of this character, if you if you looked quickly, I swear that this Dalmatian uh, and and her best friend, a a pet cat. Again, I, I don't understand how some of them have pets. Some of them are animals, but they have pets. I yeah, agree. That's, that's a little weird. I'm still I'm still trying to trying to figure out how Hello Kitty is actually an eight year old girl and is British, but you know whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, to suspend the disbelief sometimes. Yeah, nevertheless, uh, yeah. If you look at a picture of of these two characters and look quickly, you you I mean it's it's Snoopy and Woodstock. It, it it looks like Snoopy, and the the little yellow cat. It looks like Woodstock. I'm surprised they were not sued immediately, yeah. but nevertheless. Uh, they thought it'd be great to have this fashion expert from the Big Apple, a Dalmatian, who, of course, was human, even though she was a Dalmatian. You know, she had a career as a fashion expert, but she had a pet cat. And these two characters failed miserably, did did not. Uh, they, they do not speak of it too often anymore. And they are Spotty Dotty and her cat Sassy. Oh, that's adorable. And and two S's. I love it. I should have reverse engineered that. Oh, that that that's good. But again, Hello Kitty. I'll say it a few more times. Hello Kitty, Hello Kitty, Hello Kitty. In fairness, Heather, they uh this was, you know, they were struggling for a while there. And it did it did look that the perhaps uh, Hello Kitty's nine lives were running out. But uh ever since then, I mean now they have a, a, a theme restaurant and uh, traveling food trucks and uh it is it is picked up steam since then. Uh I, I think we'll be uh we'll be Hello Kittying for, for many years to come. So fear not. I Yes, there's a whole, my whole generation of millennials now as we have children and have disposable incomes will hopefully keep them propped up for a while. I'm happy to play my part. Uh, well, I cannot give you the points. Uh, I have to take them away, which gives you a final score of 16 points. Still not too bad. Uh, and and let, let's be honest. I mean, you were never getting a quarter million of dollars here anyway, so... <laughs> realize that it puts things into perspective but some of these points i feel just as as hard earned and happy to get as any that i got on the show uh before i send you off to uh pick up some bubble tea is there anything that you'd like to uh to say to, to shout out uh, the floor as they say at least for the next few moments is yours 
I want to thank you for another chance to sit in the hot seat. It is always an enjoyable experience. Uh, I can be found on social media at Girl Bureaucrat, and I'm not going to spell that out because part of the challenge is reminding yourself of how the word bureaucrat is spelled. But um, thanks again. This was great. I learned a lot. I always do. I had a great time. And uh, I had a great time as well. You are always welcome in the hot seat. I hope uh, this becomes uh, a continued annual experience. Uh, Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Now get out. (laughs) We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening. Until then, uh, bubble tea. Hey, see, I already made the tea reference. I didn't even realize it. Tea for two, two for tea. We'll see you next time. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. Did you beat our guest or did our guest beat you? Tell us all about it on Twitter at BMGPod. Also, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, spread the word. This is absolutely not been a Mark Goodson, Bill Cosby production.